All right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Joshua, we'll try to cover 1 and 2 today. That's where we'll be in our study time, Joshua 1 and 2. What a great day. Um, as we were singing there, and my eyes were closed, and it just takes me a little bit of time, you know, like I think everybody else, just to kind of let everything fade away and get in the presence of God. Um, I was thinking what a blessing it was, especially as JC brought that out, that we get this time while we're down here on earth, these moments on Sundays and Wednesdays when we're together to sing as a chorus, as a choir um, to God. Um, it just kind of just brings that reality that heaven's coming and it's coming soon, and I can't wait for it um, to do it all the time. What's that? Yep, Jenny's birthday's tomorrow. That's right. That's right. All right. Chapter 1. Joshua, he's the new leader. He's taken the children of Israel into the promised land. God's uh, given him that responsibility. Joshua's been a faithful brother to the, uh, to the Lord and, uh, and, to, and to Moses. He was uh, known for that. He was always with Moses. He was halfway up the mountain, um, allowed to be on the mountain when Moses was up there receiving the Ten Commandments. He's also known to love the people. Um, we know that because when there was noises going on down in the camp, the first thing that comes to Joshua's mind was not rebellion, but it was there's a noise of war in the camp. We need to get down there and protect those sheep kind of thing. Of course, he was wrong, um, but his heart was for the people. That's how he saw them. And so uh, he's a natural fit, obviously. God has uh, called him. He's given him the ability to be a, a blessing to someone else. He's been faithful with what is another man's. We know that's important in the New Testament. You've got to be faithful with what's another man's before God will give you your own. Um, and he has been. He was a faithful spy, too. Um, he was a sneaky little guy. Probably not a little guy, but he was sneaky. Um, he was one of the original 12 that went in per Moses' command to go spy out the land. And he was one of only two that came back and said, yeah, we can take this. God is with us. It won't be a problem. Um, of course, it took him 40 years to actually get into that promised land now because the other 10 said, no, it can't be done. So he also knows God. He's faithful to another man. He's in love with the people, wants to take care of them, and he believes God at his word. And so that's where we pick up this story as God begins to introduce Joshua to the nation of Israel. And Joshua introduces himself to the nation of Israel. They know him and he knows them. I mean, my goodness, it's been 40 years, but um, there needs to be an agreement. And so that's what this first chapter is about. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, uh, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness uh, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. And I know there's not a natural break there, but we are going to pause here for a minute. He starts off as God speaks to Joshua, as I'm giving them the land. You're just taking them across. Sort of a tour guide, basically. A leader. He's going to be a leader for sure. He's going to be the one in charge. He's going to be the one in front. The sharp point of the spear, so to speak. But he wants them to know for one thing, and it's encouraging. It wasn't to take away Joshua's um, importance or, or authority. He simply said, I'm, take, I'm giving you this land. It, it wasn't up to you, Joshua. It's not going to be up to you, Joshua, to, to give this land to them. I'm giving it to them. And that's a relief for any leader. 
Any leader, when you're called into ministry, and keep this in mind as you're called into ministry, it's not your responsibility to make the ministry happen or to bring the fruit of the ministry. Your responsibility is to go. God will equip you to be the leader of that ministry, but it's up to God to bring the increase. It always has been. And so he tells Joshua that. It's okay, I'm giving them the land. And every place you're uh, sole of your foot will tread upon. Now, I like that, and some people take that verse as yes. And when I first read that verse, when, I, when we moved to, uh, here to Maryville, I walked all over the city. I walked all over it. I'm thinking everywhere my foot you know, treads. I wanted every person, not, not that I was trying to steal sheep from other, I wanted everybody saved is what I was getting at. I wasn't trying to take away everybody else's you know, flock or anything, but I wanted everybody saved. And uh, the, the next part is probably more important. I, it, to keep those two in mind, I'm giving you, and as, as a ministry, keep that in mind, I'm giving you every place, the, so, so you, you think, if you stop there, I can go anywhere. It's all mine. Wherever I go, God's going to bless me, kind of thing. And then he gives them parameters, though. You got from here to here and from here to here. Not everywhere your foot goes. You can't go to China. You don't get to go to Russia. You don't get to go to Africa. Everywhere your foot treads here. I'm giving to you. And, and, and that gives us a little bit of a leash, so to speak, in our ministries. Um, God just doesn't bless us in ministry and wherever we go and whatever we do is blessed. And that, that's where we get that scripture, um, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who are called according to his purpose. That's important to keep that in mind. I, I can't do anything I want to do and Christ will strengthen me to do it. Anything I'm called to do by God I can do, and Christ will strengthen me to do it. And same thing with there. Everywhere your foot, uh, everywhere the sole of your foot treads upon, I've given to you, and it's from here to here. Okay? No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Again, Joshua had a firsthand experience, an eyewitness of how God was with Moses, and that's encouraging to him. He remembers, Joshua was probably very privy to all the conversations that Moses had with God. These are your people. No, they're your people, back and forth these conversations. He says, I'm going to be with you like I was with him. And so you can see here that God is speaking directly to him. He doesn't speak directly to everybody. Sometimes he speaks in visions and prophecies. He tells him that. But he speaks with Moses plainly, and he's speaking with Joshua plainly also. So I will be with you, he says. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. That's the first time we see that. There'll be four times he says that. Be strong and of good courage. It's one thing to be strong. It's another thing to be strong and have courage. A lot of people are strong, but to have courage is a whole other matter. In fact, I'd rather have courage than strength if you had to choose between the two. God wants Joshua to have both. I want you to be strong and of good courage. He's talking spiritually, of course. Nowhere, Nowhere is God relying on Joshua's muscles to handle the task. Nor is he ever relying on our muscles to handle the task. But he is relying on our relationship with him, our spiritual relationship with God to handle the task. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Just go straight. This goes straight. It's a no-brainer. It seems simple, but when you read God's Word, just go straight. You don't have to turn to the side or to the right or to the left. You don't have to twist it in any way. God means what He says, and He says what He means. Just do what God says. Just go straight. It's not a complicated path we're called to walk. It's a very straight, simple path. 
Just stay on the path. Psalm 119 tells us all about God's Word and what it does for us and this path. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It tells us where we are in conjunction to the path. The only time I need to turn left or right is when I'm off the path. Then get back on it. And it's as simple as that. Well, it's not that simple. I've been away from the Lord for a long time. I don't know if God, you know, God never says there's a, there's a, there's a difficult way back. You just turn right back to the path. And so it's a simple thing. Just go straight. Don't turn right or don't turn left. Just do what I tell you to do. It's going to be great. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do it to all that is written in it. Two things, meditate in it or on it, both, but then also do it. You need to do it. A lot of people get those things confused. They confuse their quiet times and their Bible study times with doing it. It's not the same thing. Those are the instructions. Now you got to go do it. You know, no one's ever uh, you know, gotten one of those nice pieces of furniture from Walmart or Ikea or wherever you go to get those kits made of glue and some sawdust, you know, heavy, heavy, because it's all glue. No one ever just read the instructions and poof, obviously, you have to put your hands to the task. You've got to put those things in slot A and slot B and so on. Likewise, with God's Word, we read it. This morning we have a great Bible study as God's Word speaks to us by His Spirit. We leave here, we've got to go do it for it to be effective in our lives, for it to have any purpose or meaning. Um, you will have good success, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'm always going to be with you. And he's just building Joshua up. Now, okay, Joshua's got his orders, and he's got his encouragement from God. He switches now. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So he gets these instructions. He says, get ready. In three days, we're going. And it's a big camp, so it does take time to move that many people, especially across a big river. Okay? So get everybody ready. We're going to get ready to move within three days. So the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke to them specifically. Remember who they are. Those are the guys that decide to settle on the side of the Jordan they're on now, the, the east side. He spoke to them just to remind them, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land, right where we're standing. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Don't want you to, you know, there's no bitterness here. We're not mad at you, but remember the promise. Now, everybody else is packing up their families and moving across. You don't need to do that. Leave your families here. That's fine. They can establish and get settled, but I need all your mighty men to go with us first. In fact, they're going to go first. We're going to have them go across first. And then you can return, and I want you to enjoy it. You know, with all the mistakes that I think those two and a half tribes have made, I have to give them the grace that God is giving them. I wouldn't have done it. I'm like Caleb. I'm like Joshua. I want the very best. And I think we should all want the very best. But some people choose to have second best with God. And it's not a salvation issue. It isn't. 
They're taking the second best. They're staying on this side of the Jordan. They're not gonna, they're gonna go over and do some battle, but they're gonna rest on this side of the Jordan. And he says, I want you to enjoy it. God's given it to you. It's yours to enjoy. So God gives them grace, even though um, it is a mistake. They shouldn't have done it. Um, God gives them grace in this. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And whatever you send, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Now you've got to smile at that. As they tell Joshua, we're going to be as obedient to you as we were to Moses. <laughs> I hope you're a lot better. <laughs> Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. You've got to wonder, only <laughs> when they've got to repeat it. Um, they're going to say that several times. Uh, only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. As long as you're being led by God, we'll, we'll follow you like we followed Moses. Uh, whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your word, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. They're telling him to be strong and of good courage. This is one of the two, you know, the 12 spies that went in and, and so on. He's the one that stuck with Moses and uh, does all the battle and, and so on. Um, okay. I hope it's right, and they do pretty good. Uh, I think they've been hearing from the Lord. I've got to give them grace too. As funny as that all sounds, as they say they're going to be as obedient to him as they were to Moses, as, as we've read. Um, this is another generation. You know, This is a time where a younger generation actually does better than the older generation. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of in that funny place um, where we keep, you know, anybody who's a millennial, we kind of give them a hard time today. All those millennials don't know how to work. All those millennials or whatever... There's a whole lot of millennials that are running this world right now. And they're doing really well. I mean, they've got businesses and they've got, you know, there's not, can't lump them all together. Now, there, there are the pajama-wearing kind, you know, um, that just don't seem to get it and are taking your taxes and living off of it. Um, that's, I understand that. But that's a character flaw. That's not a generational flaw necessarily. And so um, I like to read this stuff because here's a generation that's going to do better. And you know what's funny? This millennial group, that we make fun of about not working. They're one of the most pro-life groups that's ever grown up. Actually changing the world that way. That's why we're seeing this change that we're seeing, this move, this success we're having um, as far as abortion being eliminated, hopefully someday. Um, but it's because we've got a pro-life millennial generation that's doing it. They've got their heart right. They've got their mind right. Now, they don't care about stuff. They may not even take care of stuff like we think they should take care of stuff, right? But they're off taking care of people. And they're looking for people, and they're looking for uh, travel and experiences and ministering to all sorts of different people. It's a huge move of people moving and, and going as missionaries are sent all over the world in this generation. So we've got to be careful about that, millennial stuff. So they don't do things like we did it, you know. Um, they're doing well in other areas, though, better than the last generation did, to be honest with you, in some ways. So this generation is going to do better. Chapter 2, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Notice he doesn't send 12. <laughs> I just want two, and he picks a good two. I don't know their names. Their names aren't given. We think one of the names, and this is pure speculation, it is not in God's word, so you can throw it out. We believe one of the names is Solomon. That's what Jewish history states, and that'll be important later on. Maybe. We're not sure. Um, Solomon. Not King Solomon, but a Solomon, one of the Solomon. There's a lot of people named Solomon, but his name was Solomon. That'll be important here in a minute. Um, go in and spy it out. I want you to check it out. Now, the last time they sent off spies, they looked at what? Remember what they looked at? 
the size of the people, the amount of fruit, the land, the milk and honey, and all that stuff. It was all external. These two guys see something completely different. They're not looking at the stuff. They're not looking at the, the bounty. They're, they're, they're going to talk to people. There's a, there's a big difference. They're going to look at the heart of the people. They don't care about the stuff. The stuff is great. We know that. We're concerned with the heart of the people and where they stand. And they're going to do that here. So he sends off these two guys. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. We've heard there's spies in the land. Saw these two coming in. Now this is a big city. You know, lots of people going in and out. All this, all, you know, is, is you know, common you know, to come in and out of the gates. But these two looked funny. They looked different. They're probably in disguise and so on. But we've got this idea that they're from the children of Israel. Now, how do they know the children of Israel? How do they know their names? Well, we're going to see this in a minute. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Now, Rahab is a harlot. No, can't pull any punches here. She is who she is. She is a woman of the night um, and has been for many, many, many years. Jewish tradition says she's 50 years old at this point. Um, Jewish tradition also says, and you can, you know, it's not in the Bible, we don't know this, but Jewish tradition said she was 10 when she began. She was sold into it. This is human trafficking. She's just grown up with this kind of thing, okay? Um, but we don't know for sure. Either way, she could have got out of it at any time, but she's in a culture where they're in a pagan culture where this is normal. This is how women are treated. This is what women are used for and so on. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, who she is. Go, go get her, or go get these guys out of here. Bring them out to it. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened, as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof." Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So she lied. She lied. She's protecting these guys. Now the flax on top of the roof, that's where they dry out their grain, so they'd set them up there, and it was also a waterproofer too. I'm sure some sort of uh, you know, shingling kind of thing that they would have a grass. But this temporary, those flax seeds, they're just up there temporarily to dry off. They had other roof systems at that time. Um, so they're hiding amongst all these flax. That's where, they, that's where she put them. And she sends the guys off. They're, they went down the road. So all the guys go chasing down the road. Now, before they lay down, now, so we're getting some backstory here. She came up to them on the roof and said to them, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And when you did not, when, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Boy, that's a lot of information about them. Back up 40 years when these wars took place, when 
everybody in the world knew about this nation of Israel being guided by a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. And they would watch. You've got to think of it. We think of it from Israel's point of view because that's how it's written. They would look at this pillar of fire and pillar of smoke and follow around. But this is gigantic. It's huge. The rest of the world could see it as well. All they saw was this pillar of fire and pillar of smoke moving. And the whole world is melting because of fear because they know that God is with them. But what did Israel think? Israel thought they were going to get defeated at any moment by any one of these groups of people. They weren't sure of anything. But the rest of the world is terrified of them and their God and have been. If those 12 spies had taken the time to not look at grapes and the size of the people, but actually interacted with any of them, they would have learned what Rahab had, been, had, had known in her heart since she was born. She's known about this. She's grown up with this terror, waiting for that pillar of fire. Imagine them looking across the Jordan. It's a plane. And they see this pillar moving for 40 years. Just do it already, you know. Just come across. They were terrified this whole time. And all of a sudden, it comes right up to the Jordan, and it stands there. Everybody's on high alert. Everybody knows what's about to take place. This is it. This is the time. We've been waiting 40 years for this. They're finally here. They're terrified. Guys, as Christians... We walk with the king of the universe. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. We walk around like we're going to get defeated at any moment. We're not sure where we stand at any, who knows? They're scared of us. We have the power. I'm not saying about taking over the world physically. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Satan and his cronies who are on the other side of this are terrified. They walk around and they see us. That's why you get attacked. When you're by yourself, you're easy pickings. When you're together with other brothers and sisters, not so easy. They see that. They see the spiritual things. They see the spiritual things all the time. We don't. Sometimes we think we're by ourselves. We don't know where we are. We're looking. We know that God is with us. He speaks to us sometimes through his word. We have this relationship with him, but we're looking up at this pillar of fire at God through his word. Ah, you know. But the rest of the world is seeing that on you. Your testimony is going out whether you know it or not. You walk around as a living testimony and people are watching you wherever you go and they see God defeating and doing great things in your life and they're wondering, how do I... This woman has been waiting for this moment. She's made a decision before these guys got here. As soon as I see them, I'm taking advantage of it because that is the God of the universe. That's a God who can't be stopped. All these other gods, I know anything about them. They've never done anything for me, but that God, I can see the power I can see how it affected those people. They're a living witness. The Israelites didn't even know they were witnessing. Do you know that you're witnessing? Do you know this about your God, your relationship with him? Do you know this and understand this? Do you know it as well as your enemies do? They know God is with you. They see God working in your life. For 40 years, they didn't go into the promised land for fear of being defeated when the whole time it was ripe and ready to be won. The whole time. We've been melting in our hearts since the day we saw you. Now, therefore, she says in verse 2, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. That's her heart. This woman has been a prostitute her whole life. It kind of tells you what's taken place these last 40 years in her life. She has been changed. 
She's never encountered this living God. She's only seen his actions, but she's been waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment right here. She's been worshiping and not even know it probably. She's been worshiping this God. She's trusted in this God. So when she sees his emissaries come across the Jordan, she's like, please spare me. I know that you're the only people I can talk to about being spared. And she calls him, God, Lord of her life. She's a believer. So the man answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you, that's an interesting first person there. That means they're all in the room. Dad, brothers, sisters, they're all there. And she's pleading for them on their behalf. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Y'all, basically. Then she let them down by a rope through the, through the window. Uh, for her house was, a city, uh, was on the city wall. So a lot of times when they would build these walls, it would be houses, you know, just connected all the way around. So there was a window out, now, probably high up, obviously, so no one could just climb in the window and get in. But, you know, so obviously they had a rope that would let them down. This is a red rope, a scarlet rope that she's using here. She lets them down. And she said to them, Get out, or get to the mountains. Don't take the road. That's why I told them you went. Get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So she gives them some advice on how to do this. They're going to be out there three days. They're going to wait and then go across. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come to, uh, unless when we come to the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window. In other words, leave this rope here through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household into your home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, this blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. Although we can't protect the whole city. It's not like that. We're not magical. We can't just, you need to be in this one spot. That's the part of the wall that's not going to fall. And if it does, you're going to be fined inside of it. Because we know the story of Jericho. They march around Jericho and the walls fall down. <laughs> it's, I, I think that'd be a great movie, wouldn't it? When you see him marching around and just have that one house still standing there with the scarlet rope. It's the one that gets saved. It's the one that's protected. It's the people in there. Again, very similar to what happened in Egypt. Put the blood on the doorposts. And anybody inside is safe. Anybody outside? Can't give them any promises. But on the inside, you're safe. Same kind of picture here. Joshua's a type of Christ. He's a type of Jesus, um, taking the people into the promised land, um, leading them. Um, it's his blood. It's that red rope. We see all the symbolism here going on. We're going to be guiltless if they're outside the house. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. So these guys are making sure. Fine. You bet. But here's the deal. Everybody's got to be inside the house. Red rope's got to be there, and anybody inside's fine, anybody outside's fine, but, uh, and don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody we're coming. I think they know, but don't tell anybody we're coming. Then she said, according to your words, uh, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound, and, and she bound the scar scarlet cord in the window. Okay, now, I've got to get my notes out here. Just got a couple scripture, scripture references before we, uh, before we go here. Um, who is this? Who is this woman? Um, it's a big deal to know who Rahab is. Okay, um, she's a prostitute. We've got her backstory here. Um, 
Did anybody like the book Ruth? Read the book Ruth, right? It's an amazing book, right? Beautiful. And, and we know the kinsman redeemer who's in the book of Ruth, right? His name is Boaz. Boaz, right? Boaz is Rahab's son. Boaz is Rahab's son. Okay, you know, okay, big deal. So he's in the book, you know. It's important because Boaz represents Christ in that book also as the kinsman redeemer. Okay, okay, that's great. So she, Ruth marries Boaz, and, and, and Boaz and Ruth have a baby named Obed. That's great. If you go to Luke chapter 3 or if you go to Matthew chapter 1 verse 5, you go through the genealogy of Jesus Christ and Boaz and Obed are in it, which means Rahab is a part of the genealogy of Christ. She's in that as a harlot. Some people have a hard time with that. If you go to Kabod.com, that's a strictly Jewish site. It's all Jewish people. They do not want to hear about the New Testament, so don't go on there and talk about Christianity at all. It is strictly them debating the Torah. And boy, they argue, you know, good at arguing. But boy, they have a tough time with the fact that this Rahab is the, the mother of Boaz. It can't be. It has to be a different Rahab. There must have been lots of Rahabs. It just drives them crazy that this woman of ill repute is a part of this. Can't be. Nobody would marry her. It says in there in the genealogies that Solomon begot Boaz. That's why I think one of the spies was Solomon. It's my, my opinion on there. That's why I think that's who his name is. But again, you could throw that out. And Jewish tradition says it is, but we don't know. Boy, they hate the idea of a harlot being a part of that. It bothered them that a woman of ill repute could be, and it's so important for Christians, we totally love that. Totally different ideas. And here's why. Because it's grace. We love grace. The Old Testament, they love law. And they love keeping the law. And they love everything about the law. And boy, they try to do their best to keep the law. But as Christians, we realize we can't keep the law, so we're looking for another option. We're looking for grace. So when we read the genealogies and we see someone like Rahab in there, we're like, if Rahab, a 50-year-old woman of ill repute, I'm putting that delicately for little ears in the room. <laughs> now, like, we should have started that way. That's, I'm getting there. Um, what a relief. She just turned to the Lord never talks about her, uh, or her or her sins or anything. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 31, the hall of faith, where only the big names make it, you know, it says this in verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. She made the hall of faith. James even uses her. James talking about having faith and doing faith, and you need both. You have to have faith, but then it's got to be lived out and shown. Uses her as the example. James chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Her work of hiding those spies and helping the children of Israel and protecting those spies was her act of faith towards God. Now, we would dispute greatly whether you should lie or not. You shouldn't. She shouldn't have lied, but God didn't even mention that. He doesn't even bring that stuff up. I think we do a lot of things we probably shouldn't do. But she did it with the right heart. Her heart was in the right place. Not excusable. She should never lie. She probably just should have kept her mouth shut. I don't know. 
You know, <laughs> well, that'd be a lie too. I do know. I put them up in the flax. I don't know. I don't know how you go about that, but you know, shouldn't have lied. I'm not going to, you know, excuse her for that. But three times, actually four times in the New Testament, this this woman's mentioned. You know, you got to know who Rahab is, how important she is. Um, and so I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know what sins you've committed or what sins keep to haunting you. You go back and you remember the things you used to do. There are those moments we all have, I think, remember the kind of person you used to be before you came to Christ, or maybe you haven't come to Christ this morning. Maybe you've never been a believer in Jesus. Maybe you've got a lot of hang-ups. There's a lot of things in your past. I know a lot of people that are veterans that have a hard time coming to Jesus because when they went into the war, they didn't have Christ, and they did their soldiering for the wrong reasons. Maybe enjoyed it a little too much or maybe hated it all but were obedient and never could reconcile that in their minds. And they have a struggle with that. I can't show up with God. I've, I've killed too many people. No one is out of the reach of God's grace. No one. Maybe you've had, well, I don't want to, there's a lot of sins that keep us from God because we think they can't be forgiven. And so God puts people like this in here on purpose. Here's Rahab, a harlot. For years and years and years and years and years. And yet she found God. She saw him. She believed in him. Without even meeting him, she's trusted in him. And she's redeemed. She's a part of the genealogy. And he uses her, you know. God can use us. He wants to use us. Now, how, she, how he used her and why he used her is because she believed him at his word and she acted according to her faith. She wasn't afraid. She knew it was better to be with these guys that were traveling, just two of them coming across and the rest of the people living in tents than it was to be in the fortified walls of Jericho, which was one of the greatest cities of the time. She knew it was better to be with them than it was to be in the safety of what the world had to offer. We all have to make that choice. So she, she ties the scarlet cord because she doesn't know and she leaves it there. She leaves it there. They departed, the two spies, and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of, son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Now there's a good report. That's what Joshua needed to hear. I know how big the grapes are. I carried them back last time. I know how big the people are too. I saw them. What I needed to hear was their hearts on the matter. And I told them all about Josh, or, you know, Rahab and so on. And, and we'll get into that next week as we cover two more chapters. But um, what a beautiful story. Um, what a beautiful, amazing picture of God's grace in the Old Testament. His redemption. People just had to turn to him. And it's the same today. If you haven't turned to Jesus Christ today, you need to turn to him today. He wants you to anyway. If you didn't think you could, no excuses anymore. If she did, so can you. You could turn to him and put your trust in him and let him do what he's doing in her. She's going to have a whole new life. Who, th who would think at the age of 50 you could start over? She starts over 50 years of sin, some of the most depraved sin. But at 50, she marries a faithful man, whoever he is, Solomon maybe, maybe somebody else. Either way, she has this baby, and his name is Boaz. 
And Boaz has Obed. And go down the line a few bit, and David shows up out of that lineage also. King David comes out of that lineage, and all of a sudden you've got Jesus, the Messiah. That's quite a change. That's quite a heritage to now have. And you can have that same heritage as well, starting today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Um, Lord, for those that have never known you but want to know you, they've known of you, but they've never known you personally. They've never made you their God. They've never called you Lord, but they've wanted to. Lord, today they want to pray. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me with an everlasting love. Thank you that I know that my sins have separated me from you, but you've made a way for me. You are the scarlet thread. You are the blood that was shed. And we know that that blood, that sacrifice that you made on the cross is sufficient for my sins. And so I trust you and I believe you at your word, so much so that I'm doing something about it today. By faith, I'm trusting in you for my salvation. I'm trusting in you for my eternity with you. I know that you're going to bring me there. No, my good works won't do it, but my faith in you will. And so I believe you and I trust in you today, and I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit now. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit that I might know you better, understand your word when I read it, that you might lead and guide me all the days of my life, that I might trust you in every decision that I make, and that you might turn my life around, that I might have a new chapter right now, God, from the old life to the new life in you. Thank you, God. Lord, for the rest of us, thank you for reminding us of who you are. As we get close to you and we're staring at that pillar of fire and pillar of smoke, almost on a daily basis, hopefully, We forget the rest of the world sees that too. They're watching us. They're seeing us. And they're seeing you move in us and change our lives and our character. They're also seeing you use us in different areas. God, help us to remember that we are that witness. Um, And we thank you for it. Lord, bless these guys as they go today. Bless their their going out and their coming in. Bless their travels, their, their fellowship. I know there's a reunion going on. I pray that's just a great time today. I hope they have a wonderful time today. Um, for the rest of us that are celebrating birthdays or whatever we may be doing, God, we pray that you're the center of it all. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Have a good rest of the week, guys.